chapter thirteen of the house of the arrow by a e w mason this LibriVox recording is in the public domain chapter thirteen simon harlow's treasure room like the rest of the reception rooms along the corridor it was longer than it was broad and more of a gallery than a room but it had been arranged for habitation rather than for occasional visits for it was furnished with a luxurious comfort and not overcrowded in the fawn-coloured panels of the walls a few exquisite pictures by fragonard had been framed on the writing-table of chinese chippendale by the window every appointment inkstand pen-tray candlestick sand-caster and all were of the pink battersea enamel and without a flaw but they were there for use not for exhibition moreover a prominent big fireplace in the middle of the wall on the side of the hall jutted out into the room and gave it almost the appearance of two rooms in communication the one feature of the room indeed which at a first glance betrayed the collector was the sedan chair set in a recess of the wall by the fireplace and opposite to the door communicating with mrs harlow's bedroom its body was of a pale french grey in colour with elaborately carved mouldings in gold round the panels and medallions representing fashionable shepherds and shepherdesses painted daintily in the middle of them it had glass windows at the sides to show off the occupant and it was lined with pale grey satin embroidered in gold to match the colour of the panels the roof which could be raised upon the hinge at the back was ornamented with gold filigree work and it had a door in front of which the upper part was glass altogether it was as pretty a gleaming piece of work as the art of carriage building could achieve and a gilt rail very fitly protected it even hanaud was taken by its daintiness he stood with his hands upon the rail examining it with a smile of pleasure until jim began to think that he quite forgotten the business which had brought him there however he brought himself out of his dream with a start a pretty world for rich people monsieur frobisher he said what pictures of fine ladies in billowy skirts and fine gentlemen in silk stockings and what splashings of mud for the unhappy devils who had to walk he turned his back to the chair and looked across the room that is the clock which marked half-past ten mademoiselle during the moment when you had the light turned up he asked of anne yes she answered quickly then she looked at it again yes that's it jim detected or fancied that he detected a tiny change in her intonation as she repeated her assurance not an inflection of doubt it was not marked enough for that but of perplexity it was clearly however fancy upon his part for hanaud noticed nothing at all jim pulled himself up with an unspoken remonstrance take care he warned himself for once you begin to suspect people they can say and do nothing which will not provide you with material for suspicion hanaud was without doubt satisfied the clock was a beautiful small gilt clock of the louis quinze period shaped with a waist like a violin it had a white face and it stood upon a marquetry boule cabinet a little more than waist-high in front of a tall venetian mirror hanaud stood directly in front of it and compared it with his watch it is exact to the minute mademoiselle he said to betty with a smile as he replaced his watch in his pocket 
he turned about so that he stood with his back to the clock he faced the fireplace across the narrow neck of the room it had an adam mantelpiece fashioned from the same fawn-coloured wood as the panels with slender pillars and some beautiful carvings upon the board beneath the shelf above the shelf one of the fragonards was framed in the wall and apparently so that nothing should mask it there were no high ornaments at all upon the shelf itself one or two small boxes of battersea enamel and a flat glass case alone decorated it hanaud crossed to the mantel-shelf and after a moment's inspection lifted with a low whistle of admiration the flat glass case you will pardon me mademoiselle he said to betty but i shall probably never in my life have the luck to see anything so incomparable again and the mantel-shelf's a little high for me to see it properly without waiting for the girl's consent he carried it towards the window do you see this monsieur frobisher he called out and jim went forward to his side the case held a pendant wrought in gold and chalcedony and translucent enamels by benevenuto cellini jim acknowledged that he had never seen craftsmanship so exquisite and delicate but he chafed none the less at hanaud's diversion from his business one could spend a long day in this room the detective exclaimed admiring these treasures no doubt jim replied dryly but i had a notion that we were going to spend an afternoon looking for an arrow hanaud laughed my friend you recall me to my duty he looked at the jewel again and sighed yes as you say we are not visitors here to enjoy ourselves he carried the case back again to the mantel-shelf and replaced it then all at once his manner changed he was leaning forward with his hands still about the glass case but he was looking down the fire grate was hidden from the room by a low screen of blue lacquer and hanaud from the position in which he stood could see over the screen and into the grate itself what is all this he asked he lifted the screen from the hearth and put it carefully aside all now could see what had disturbed him a heap of white ash in the grate hanaud went down upon his knees and picking up the shovel from the fender he thrust it between the bars and drew it out again with a little layer of the ashes upon it they were white and had been pulverized into atoms there was not one flake which would cover a fingernail hanaud touched them gingerly as though he had expected to find them hot this room was sealed up on sunday morning and to-day is thursday afternoon said jim frobisher with heavy sarcasm ashes do not as a rule keep hot more than three days monsieur hanaud maurice thevenet looked at frobisher with indignation he was daring to make fun of hanaud he treated the surite with no more respect than one might treat well say scotland yard even monsieur bex had an air of disapproval for a partner of the firm of frobisher and hazlitt this gentleman was certainly not very correct hanaud on the contrary was milk and water i have observed it he said mildly and he sat back upon his heels with the shovel still poised in his hands mademoiselle he called and betty moved forward and leaned against the mantel-shelf at his side who burnt these papers so very carefully he asked i did betty replied and when on saturday night a few and the rest on sunday morning before monsieur le commissaire arrived and what were they mademoiselle 
letters monsieur hanaud looked up into her face quickly oh he said softly letters yes and uh, what kind of letters if you please jim frobisher was for throwing up his hands in despair what in the world had happened to hanaud one moment he forgot altogether the business upon which he was engaged in his enjoyment of simon harlow's collection the next he was off on his wild goose chase after anonymous letters jim had not a doubt that he was thinking of them now one had only to say letters and he was sidetracked at once apparently ready to accuse any one of their authorship they were quite private letters betty replied whilst the colour slowly stained her cheeks they will not help you so i see hanaud returned with just a touch of a snarl in his voice as he shook the shovel and flung the ashes back into the grate but i am asking you mademoiselle what kind of letters these were betty did not answer she looked sullenly down at the floor and then from the floor to the windows and jim saw with a stab of pain that her eyes were glistening with tears i think monsieur hanaud that we have come to a point when mademoiselle and i should consult together he interposed mademoiselle would certainly be within her rights said monsieur vex but mademoiselle waived her rights with a little petulant movement of her shoulders very well she showed her face now to them all with the tears abrim in her big eyes and gave jim a little nod of thanks and recognition you shall be answered monsieur hanaud she said with a catch in her voice it seems that nothing however sacred but must be dragged out into the light but i say again those letters will not help you she looked across the group to her notary monsieur bex she said and he moved forward to the other side of hanaud in madame's bedroom between her bed and the door of the bathroom there stood a small chest in which she kept a good many unimportant papers such as old receipted bills which it was not yet wise to destroy this chest i took to my office after madame's death of course with mademoiselle's consent meaning to go through the papers at my leisure and recommend that all which were not important should be destroyed my time however was occupied as i have already explained to you and it was not until the friday of the sixth of may that i opened the chest at all on the very top i saw to my surprise a bundle of letters in which the writing had already faded tied together with a ribbon one glance was enough to assure me that they were very private and sacred things with which mademoiselle's notary had nothing whatever to do accordingly on the saturday morning i brought them back myself to mademoiselle betty with a bow monsieur bex retired and betty continued the story i put the letters aside so that i might read them quietly after dinner as it happened i could not in any case have given them attention before for on that morning monsieur boris formulated his charge against me and in the afternoon i was summoned to the office of the examining magistrate as you can understand i was i don't say frightened but distressed by this accusation and it was not until quite late in the evening and then rather to distract my thoughts than for any other reason that i looked at the letters but as soon as i did look at them i understood that they must be destroyed there were reasons which and her voice faltered and with an effort again grew steady which i feel it rather a sacrilege to explain 
they were letters which passed between my uncle simon and mrs harlow during the time when she was very unhappily married to monsieur raviar and living apart from him sometimes long letters sometimes little scraps of notes scribbled off without reserve during a moment of freedom they were letters of and again her voice broke and died away into a whisper so that none could misunderstand her meaning of lovers lovers speaking very intimate things and glorying in their love oh there was no doubt that they ought to be destroyed but i made up my mind that i ought to read them every one first of all lest there should be something in them which i ought to know i read a good many that night and burnt them but it grew late i left the rest until the sunday morning i finished them on the sunday morning and what i had left over i burnt then it was soon after i had finished burning them that monsieur le commissaire came to affix his seals the ashes which you see there monsieur hanaud are the ashes of the letters which i burnt upon the sunday morning betty spoke with a very pretty and simple dignity which touched her audience to a warm sympathy hanaud gently tilted the ashes back into the grate mademoiselle i am always in the wrong with you he said with an accent of remorse for i am always forcing you to statements which make me ashamed and do you honour jem acknowledged that hanaud when he wished could do the handsome thing with a very good grace unfortunately a grace seemed never to be an enduring quality in him as for instance now he was still upon his knees in front of the hearth while making his apology he had been raking amongst the ashes with the shovel without giving to all appearance any thought to what he was doing but his attention was now arrested the shovel had disclosed an unburnt fragment of bluish-white paper hanaud's body stiffened he bent forward and picked the scrap of paper out from the grate whilst betty too stooped with a little movement of curiosity hanaud sat back again upon his heels so you burnt more than letters last sunday morning he said betty was puzzled and hanaud held out to her the fragment of paper bills too mademoiselle betty took the fragment in her hand and shook her head over it it was obviously the right-hand top corner of a bill for an intriguing scrap of a printed address was visible and below a figure or two in a column there must have been a bill or two mixed up with the letters said betty i don't remember it she handed the fragment of paper back to hanaud who sat and looked at it jim frobisher standing just behind him read the printed ends of names and words and the figures beneath and happened to remember the very look of them hanaud held them so long in his hand the top bit of name in large capital letters the words below echeloned in smaller capitals then the figures in the columns and all enclosed in a rough sort of triangle with the diagonal line browned and made ragged by the fire thus eron struction les is three seventy five point zero five well it is of no importance luckily said hanaud and he tossed the scrap of paper back into the grate did you notice these ashes monsieur giradeau on sunday morning he turned any slur the question might seem to cast upon betty's truthfulness with an explanation it is always good when it is possible to get a cooperation mademoiselle 
betty nodded but girardeau was at a loss he managed to look extremely important but importance was not required i don't remember he said however corroboration of a kind at all events did come though from another source if i may speak monsieur hanaud said maurice thevenet eagerly but by all means hanaud replied i came into this room just behind monsieur girardeau on the sunday morning i did not see any ashes in the hearth that is true but mademoiselle harlow was in the act of arranging that screen of blue lacquer in front of the fireplace just as we saw it to-day she arranged it and when she saw who her visitors were she stood up with a start of surprise aha uh -huh, said hanaud cordially he smiled at betty this evidence is just as valuable as if he had told us that he had seen the ashes themselves he rose to his feet and went close to her but there is another letter which you were good enough to promise to me he said the ah uh, she began and hanaud stopped her hurriedly it is better that we hold our tongues he said with a nod and a grin which recognized that in this matter they were accomplices this is to be our exclusive little secret which if he is very good we will share with monsieur le commissaire he laughed hugely at his joke whilst betty unlocked a drawer in the chippendale secretary girardeau the commissaire tittered not quite sure that he thought very highly of it monsieur bex on the other hand by a certain extra primness of his face made it perfectly clear that in his opinion such a jape was very very far from correct betty produced a folded sheet of common paper and handed it to hanaud who took it aside to the window and read it carefully then with a look he beckoned girardeau to his side monsieur frobisher can come too for he is in the secret he added and the three men stood apart at the window looking at the sheet of paper it was dated the seventh of may signed the scourge like the others of this hideous brood and it began without any preface there were only a few words typed upon it and some of them were epithets not to be reproduced which made jim's blood boil that a girl like betty should ever have had to read them your time is coming now you and here followed the string of abominable obscenities you are for it betty harlow i know the detective from paris is coming to look after you with his handcuffs in his pocket you will look pretty in handcuffs won't you betty it's your white neck we want three cheers for wabersky the scourge girardeau stared at the brutal words and settled his glasses on his nose and stared again but but he stammered and he pointed to the date a warning gesture made by hanaud brought him to a sudden stop but frobisher had little doubt as to the purport of that unfinished exclamation girardeau was astonished as hanaud himself had been that this item of news had so quickly leaked abroad hanaud folded the letter and turned back into the room thank you mademoiselle he said to betty and thevenet the secretary took his notebook from his pocket shall i make a copy of the letter monsieur hanaud he said sitting down and holding out his hand i wasn't going to give it back hanaud answered and a copy at the present stage isn't necessary a little later on i may ask for your assistance he put the letter away in his letter-case and his letter-case away in his breast pocket when he looked up again he saw that betty was holding out to him a key this unlocks the cabinet at the end of the room she said 
yes let us look now for the famous arrow or we shall have monsieur frobisher displeased with us again said hanaud the cabinet stood against the wall at the end of the room opposite to the windows and close to the door which opened onto the hall hanaud took the key unlocked the door of the cabinet and started back with a wow he was really startled for facing him upon a shelf were two tiny human heads perfect in feature in hair in eyes but reduced to the size of big oranges they were the heads of indian tribesmen killed upon the banks of the amazon and preserved and reduced by their conquerors by the process common amongst those forests if the arrow is anywhere in this room it is here that we should find it he said but though he found many curious oddities in that cabinet of the perfect specimen of a poison arrow there was never a trace he turned away with an air of disappointment well then mademoiselle there's nothing else for it he said regretfully and for an hour he searched that room turning back the carpet examining the upholstery of the chairs and the curtains shaking out every vase and finally giving his attention to betty's secretary he probed every cranny of it he discovered the simple mechanism of its secret drawers he turned out every pigeonhole working with extraordinary swiftness and replacing everything in its proper place at the end of the hour the room was as orderly as when he had entered it yet he had gone through it with a tooth-comb no it is not here he said and he seated himself in a chair and drew a breath but on the other hand as the two ladies and monsieur frobisher are aware i was prepared not to find it here we have finished then said betty but hanaud did not stir for a moment he replied i shall be glad monsieur giraudeau if you will remove the seals in the hall from the door at the end of the room the commissaire went out by the way of mrs harlow's bedroom accompanied by his secretary after a minute had passed a key grated in the lock and the door was opened the commissaire and his secretary returned into the room from the hall good said hanaud he rose from this chair and looking around at the little group now grown puzzled and anxious he said very gravely in the interest of justice i now ask that none of you shall interrupt me by either word or gesture for i have an experiment to make in a complete silence he walked to the fireplace and rang the bell End of chapter thirteen